following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. We've arrived to the fifth arcanum, the fifth law of the sacred tarot. The word hierarch in Greek comes from hieros, which means holy or sacred. Arc, which reminds us again of arcanum, of law, of teaching, which is where we get words such as arcana, uh, archangel, specifically, archmagi, those beings who are enlightened and know the tarot in depth. So we've been explaining that the tarot themselves are laws of nature. And therefore, we've arrived at the fifth arcanum, the fifth teaching of the hierarch. A hieros magician, a holy magician, a sacred being, a sacred ruler, is an angel, a master, who is in full command of all of the 22 archetypes represented by the major arcana of the tarot and the 22 Hebrew letters of the Kabbalistic alphabet, which we've been explaining in depth. If we're familiar with the Gnostic Gospels, specifically the story of Sophia, we know that the fallen soul seeks to aspire and return back to the height of divinity. On her journey forward, she must answer to the archons, the hierarchs, the masters of the law, who govern the law of causality. So in this lecture, we're going to talk about a very famous Eastern teaching known as karma, the law of cause and effect, in relation with this card. Because a hierarch, a holy being, a holy ruler or sacred archon, is a being who has fully equilibrated all the forces of nature within him or herself, and therefore is in command of those laws, the law of causality, cause and effect. Someone who has fully balanced their karma, meaning their, their debts as well as their good deeds, as we'll be talking about in depth. So Sophia learns to answer to the archons when she's returning back up the tree of life, which is a diagram we'll be examining in depth today. 
so she must learn to appease those rulers, answer to her own debts for having fallen into temptation, into lower states of materiality, of nature, of condensation of forces, as well as entering into the realm of desire, of defects, egos, selves. So the hierarch is precisely represented by this glyph. And the chief hierarch of our solar system is a being known as Anubis. He is the chief of the law of karma, cause and effect. And he judges all souls within this solar system specifically, as taught within the Egyptian mythology, which is not a fantasy, but a reality. So Anubis, represented here in this glyph, wears the mask of a jackal. Because within the higher dimensions, when we are face-to-face with Anubis and we're in the courts of the law in order to negotiate an answer for our deeds, Anubis wears a mask of a jackal or a wolf in order to symbolize the impartiality of the law. And what does this impartiality signify? Divinity does not look to us for our intentions, our goodwill, but rather on the effects of our actions the results of our actions themselves. So wearing that mask is a symbol of how Anubis does not judge us based on what we intended to do, but rather what are the results of our actions, what are the consequences of our deeds. Represented by the scale of the bottom third of this card and the waters of this fifth arcanum, we see a scale along with a feather and a heart and a Um, the balance and equilibrium, which is a symbol of how the heart, our emotional center, and the feather representing our mind must be in balance. We must have equilibrium within our thoughts, our words, and our deeds because that is how we create action. As the Bhagavad Gita teaches us, we must learn to act without attachment to our actions, the fruits of our results. And so we must find balance in this regard. We must be balanced in mind, heart, and body if we want the results of our actions to be beneficial to others. And for this matter, we study Gnostic psychology in depth, of which we've elaborated in our former lectures. But the heart and the feather must be in balance because mind and heart that is in disequilibrium creates problems for ourselves. And more importantly, it creates problems for others as well. So within the right hand of Anubis, he carries a staff of power, which we've been explaining as the spinal medulla, the staff of the magicians, the shepherd's staff by which the master leads his disciples towards the heights of spirituality, a representation of how the spinal medulla is illuminated by what we call the fire of Kundalini. So a master is a being, a hierarch, who has raised the sacred fire of the Kundalini force from Muladhara Chakra up the seven centers of the human body, the spinal medulla, up to the brain, and then to the heart. So any master is in full command of his spinal column, which is the tree of life, as we've been explaining. We cannot live or have life if it weren't for our spine. And therefore, we'll talk about the tree of life more in depth today. So the law of karma is the law of causality. And Anubis, in his temples has a book for each individual in order to judge their deeds. 
Every human being has a material representation within those higher realms of a book of their karma, a book of their actions, of which the judges look and they evaluate our actions, our deeds. And uh, this is very well known within Egyptian mythology that Anubis judges through the book of the dead within the underworld, the inferior dimensions. Likewise, the Quran teaches us that there are two books, one for the righteous and one for the sinners, which we'll be quoting from today. So the law of karma is supreme mercy, but also it is supreme judgment. Represented by the two columns of the tree of life of Kabbalah. On the right, we have the pillar of mercy. On the left, the pillar of severity. In the middle, we have the pillar of balance. The Kabbalah is a tool we use to analyze our consciousness, who we are psychologically, the levels of our being, the levels of expression of matter, energy, and perception. Of course, we're in the bottom sphere, Malkut, which is the physical body. Yet above, we have much more subtle forces and energies of which we must become uh, knowledgeable of. And so, we are this tree of life. This, this is a map of our psyche as well as the being, our divinity, from the heights of attainment to the lowest depths of matter and perception. And so, represented back on this card of the hierarchy, those three pillars must be in balance, represented by the scale. For in the scale, we have the pillar of the left, severity, and then on the right, we have the pillar of mercy, balanced by the qualities of the heart. And those of us familiar with Kabbalah know that the sphere of Tifereth in this tree of life is the very center of this map representing the heart. Because if you transpose this image on a human being, the top trinity, Keter, Chokmah, Binah, at the top, manifests in the head. The forces of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or Osiris, Isis, and Horus in Egyptian mythology. The middle trinity represents our heart. Chesed, Geburah, Tiferet. Chesed being our spirit, our inner being, our inner divinity, our inner Buddha. The divine consciousness, Geburah, the feminine soul that expresses that spiritual principle. And then Tiferet, which is really what we are, a fraction of that particle or part known as the heart, the qualities of the heart, the human consciousness, which descends into netzach, which is the mind, intellect, thought, heart, emotion, hod, sometimes known as the astral vehicle. On the right, we have the mental vehicle. Below that, we have ethereality or vitality, which is our energy. And then lastly, we have our physical body, which is what we are present with today. These sephiroth or spheres integrate manifest in simultaneously here and now. These are not something far away from us and abstract. We can see that in our present state of being, we have thought and emotion. And sometimes we can sense we have a certain level of energy, vitality, etc. So this map teaches us who we are and which helps to explain the Torah in depth. Tifereth is our heart, the human consciousness, the conscience that knows right from wrong. Positive from negative, good from evil. And so this scale is teaching us that it is our heart that balances these forces, that balances our karma, 
balances our actions. It depends on how we use our energy. How do we use our mental force? How do we use our emotional force? How do we use our vitality? Yes? You mentioned the quiver is the mind. Yes. And, and the heart is what again? It, it's the tifereth, we could say. We're analyzing it on two levels. We're saying that the mind and the heart need to be balanced. But also we say that the, the left pillar of Kabbalah, the right pillar of Kabbalah, are balanced through tifereth, the heart, in the very center. So there's levels of meaning here. These glyphs are very uh, dense, dynamic, as we'll see. So how we use our energy depend, uh, determines our actions, determines our life, determines how we are judged by the law. We also see in this glyph the Hebrew letter He, of which we'll talk about at the end of this lecture in combination with this card. What's important to analyze about the number five is that it is a number of Mars, of war. Five is Mars, combat, strength. The fifth arcanum teaches us the law of karma, the law of the how to change psychologically speaking. And it also provides us with explanations of who we are psychologically and how do we change. All the prophets of humanity taught the fifth arcanum, taught us how to change psychologically. The Quran teaches us something very beautiful about this aspect of the teaching from Surah 57, verse 25. This is known as Al-Hadid, the iron. Indeed, we have sent our messengers with clear proofs and revealed with them the scripture and the balance, represented by the balance of this card and the, the waters of this card, the bottom third. So that mankind may keep up justice. And we brought forth iron, wherein is mighty power in matters of war, as well as many benefits for mankind, that Allah may test who it is that will help him in his religion, which is again religare in Latin, to reunite with divinity. Whether it be through yoga, the Sanskrit yug, unification, whatever religion we are teaching from. And his messengers in the unseen. Verily Allah is all strong, almighty, and all powerful. This is Surah 57, verse 25. The metal of iron, astrologically speaking, relates to Mars. And the fifth planet of our solar system, the fifth arcadum, relates to an angel by the name of Samael, who is the f- founder of the modern Gnostic tradition through his uh, human soul, uh, Samael Onvior. And so iron is a metal of tremendous capacity through which the forces of the planet Mars channel that strength throughout the solar system in order to acquire the balance of the worlds. So all the planets have their specific capacities, abilities, and dispensations in order to create a unity within the solar system. So Mars is the force that channels strength of a spiritual type, not of violence and bloodshed, not of hatred. That's the inversion of that force. The positive aspect of Mars is love, compassion. The strength of a warrior who fights for his spirituality, for the liberation of his consciousness, and for others. So iron is a metal of tremendous power, which, as we're going to explain at the end of this lecture, we can use for certain talismans to protect us from negative vibrations. So the Quran teaches us that iron is a powerful element, useful for his religion. 
which is interesting because it is not literal. We have to learn to read the scriptures with an informed eye because the iron which people use for combat is not literal. As many people think of Islam as a religion of war, of jihad, is uh, mistaken because the word jihad means comes from uh, mujahida, which means striving, to strive, to fight against that which is negative. And when Muhammad was asked from his companions, uh, oh, what Muhammad is greater than the lesser holy war, the war against others, he says, war against yourself, against your defects, against your anger. That truly is the great holy war that we wage, the striving. And iron is the force of Mars that aids us. The, pot- the potential of strength within our own spiritual nature that is a warrior that knows how to fight for what is correct and upright. So five reminds us of this, Arcanum five. And the angel Samael is the regent or intelligence that governs the planet Mars, whose power is manifested within any individual who knows how to work with the Martian force. But of course, this is not a force of violence and bloodshed, but one of compassion and strength to defend that which is uh, pure and upright before the law. And so Anubis is intimately related with Mars, the planet of judgment, of severity, but also of compassion. So this is not a blind law. Cause and effect is not a law of vengeance. If you do something wrong, you get punished. That's a a very superficial way to look at karma because karma is negotiable. We have procedures by which we can negotiate our karma where we can speak to Anubis or even speak to the angel Samael to help aid us. And in the Zohar, the mystical book of Judaism, the Kabbalah, teaches us a very interesting fact about Samael in depth. In the beginning of the Zohar, there were 22 Hebrew letters that presented themselves before Jehovah, or we can say Allah, whatever name we want to give to that source, that intelligence known as Christ, we can say. And the 22 letters each took their turn in order to present themselves and ask the Lord, can you use me in order to initiate creation, to create this universe? So it's interesting because the 22 Hebrew letters relate to the 22 arcana of the Torah in depth. The letter Samech, which is the S sound, which initiates the name of Samael, presented itself to the Lord and said, I wish to initiate creation for you, my Lord Jehovah. But the Lord said, you are needed elsewhere instead of creation because Samech literally means support to help those who are fallen those who are lost in temptation, those who are suffering in the abyss. I cannot let you create creation above. You have to work down below to help those who are trapped within their own anger, their fear, their pain. Therefore, I cannot let you initiate creation, the letter Samek, which Samek is shaped like a serpent, as we'll talk about in Arcanum 15, the 15th letter of the Kabbalah. But that angel, Samael, is intimately related with that power, that force of Mars, which is represented as a serpent. And if you read the Zohar, you'll see that the serpent is a dual force. It could be good or it can be evil, depending on how we use that force. We can either raise the Kundalini up the spine to become a hierarch, someone who is in command of the laws of nature, 
or if we let that energy out of ourselves, if we waste it through anger and lust and desire, that energy descends down the spine and forms the tail of Satan, the tail of the demons within the astral vehicle, which we call the Kunda buffer. And so our Kanam 5 teaches us how to balance forces within ourselves through the power of will. And iron as a metal represents willpower. How do we dominate our own will? meaning our lower desires or lower states of consciousness so that we can elevate them and raise them to a higher state of being. So in order to arrive at the state of balance and comprehension, we work with our willpower in combination with works of consciousness. Consciousness in itself, along with willpower, aids the practitioner of meditation in order to obtain wisdom cognizance, understanding. So if we look back at the card of the the scale of the hierarchy, when we look back at the scale of the hierarchy, we find that the feather and the heart also can signify consciousness and willpower. In order for us to arrive at wisdom, what we call prajna, we need to work with consciousness and willpower, represented on the tree of life. We have Tifereth, our willpower, the heart, and consciousness, which is our divine soul, that which never enters into impurity. Those two in combination work to achieve the third sephira of the middle trinity, which is chesed, our spirit, known in the, in the East as prajna, wisdom, understanding. Pra means beyond. Nya is where we get words like jnana yoga, knowledge yoga, gnosis as well in Greek. And so those forces help to equilibrate and help the initiates to, pa- to balance their debts and pay their, what they owe to the law of uh, the divine. The significance of number five also relates to the fifth cycle of manifestation. There are different cosmic eras and rounds in which certain universes enter into more dense levels of materiality. We are also in the fifth root race of this planet, known as the Aryans. Now, this term Aryan has been grossly abused by certain cultures. The word Aries relates to Mars or Samael, which indicates that this powerful being is responsible for the spiritual development of the souls of this planet. Because everyone on this planet in this world today is of the Aryan race, not necessarily the Nordics or the Germans. Because there are different root races that exist on each planet in different eras. Every planet gives birth to seven races, which we'll be talking about in the Arcanum 7, the Law of Seven. But also uh, in this lecture, we can say that uh, the first race was the protoplasmic root race. The second race was the Hyperborean race. The third race was known as the Lemurians. The fourth was Atlantis, or the Atlanteans. And now we're in the era of Aries, the Aryan race, governed by the angel Samael. And if you're interested in that type of anthropology, you can read... uh, Gnostic Anthropology by Samael and Vior specifically. We're also uh, related to the fifth sun on the Aztec calendar, which or the fifth sun of Tonatiu, the solar deity. Are the Aztecs depicting that our Aryan race is the children of the fifth sun, which you can read more in depth too. Five also relates to our five senses, the five lobes of our liver, which is governed by Geburah, the sphere of severity on the tree of life which helps with the breakdown of impure elements in the body. 
So Mars has that force, that nature, that uh, power that breaks down negative elements. And so five also relates to the five aspects of our Divine Mother, Kundalini, of which we get, we'll be giving other lectures about that. So the fifth arcanum is initiation. It is demonstration of the teaching, which is the Martian teaching, the teaching of strength, of compassion, and the spiritual war that any meditator needs to engage with in order to transform who they are psychologically. So in order to talk about this, we'll talk about the, the tree of life in depth. So the tree of life is a map, as I said, of different levels of matter, energy, and perception. From the top, we have the most rarefied element, known in different religions as the trinity. And as we talked about in Arcanum 3, this law of three creates life, creates the tree of life, creates the different manifestations of existence. We have the hidden sephirah da'at, which relates to knowledge, because it is through specific knowledge and works by which we use the three forces in us in order to create spiritually. So the spirit manifests from the top trinity and unfolds into his divine consciousness and then into his sense of will, the human soul, Tifereth. It's easy to see that uh, from our experience what these lower four Sephiroth entail, or Sephiroth entail. Netzach, the mind, is intellect. Hod, the emotions. Yesod, our vitality. And Malkuth is our body. These are different levels of condensation of matter, perception, and energy. These exist within us simultaneously, they're not separate. In us, they tend to be very mixed and disorganized and chaotic. If we sit to meditate, we often see that the mind is running off on its train of thoughts, its concepts, its beliefs, its ideas, its political affiliations, etc. And likewise, the emotions can be afflicted by moods of attraction, repulsion, craving, aversion. And likewise, with the vital force, with our instincts, with our impulses, etc., these tend to be in a very chaotic state without any type of order, organization. However, the teachings of the fifth arcanum allow us to understand how to create that order, how to balance our psyche itself. So we understand from this teaching that all of life first emanated from the top of the tree of life down to Malkut. And those energies now have to return backward, inward and up, to the absolute, which is beyond the top of the tree of life, beyond the trinity, the unknowable divinity, known in Kabbalah as Ain, Ain Sof, Ain Sof Or, the nothingness, the limitless, and the limitless light, respectively. And so Sophia is precisely that soul trapped in Malkut, within the Gnostic Gospels, who wants to return up the tree of life, back to the source, back to Pleroma, back to the, her home, we could say, her origin. And so we understand that in this journey inward and upward, we seek to become what is known as the upright pentagram, which is a five-pointed star as we see in this image. This image has been given a lot of misinterpretations, and there's a lot of ignorance about the meaning of this symbol. It is a symbol of divinity of Christ, the Greek name Christos, the anointing fire, 
the energy of divinity within we, we carry within our body, whom we need to elevate up our spine to our brain and then to our heart. Many paintings given by master initiates often depicted Jesus holding his hand in the sign of the uh, pentagram with the two inferior vertices facing down and the, up, uh, the middle finger, index finger, and thumb facing upward. So what does the pentagram represent for us, this five-pointed star? It represents a human being made into the image of Christ, the divinity. We're not here talking just about Jesus, but with any initiate who was incarnated, Chokmah, the Lord, the top of the tree of life, and who fully manifests that trinity at the top, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, Votan, Baldur, Thor, amongst the Nordics, or uh, Keter, Chokmah, Bina, and Kabbalah. The first logos, second logos, third logos. These are energies that we need to work with. And so the pentagram represents a human being who is fully expressing that power. And like the Vitruvian man of uh, Leonardo da Vinci represents a human being whose spiritual reasoning is in domination of his sexuality, of his desires, of his passions, who is fully sublimated that instinctual drive or libido and transformed it into pure force of a spiritual type who knows how to use that energy with consciousness and wisdom. So right now, we are not this pentagram. We are actually inverted. And that's a very well-known symbol in this humanity of evil, degeneration, of impurity. When the human being is governed by their desires, it means that their head is facing down towards the abyss. Therefore, this superior vertex is inverted and the two feet are facing upward, which forms the very famous male goat of Mendez with the two horns, the ears, and the chin, which is a symbol of sorcery and black magic, of uh, evil will. And so this pentagram facing upward represents an initiate who is following the Christic power, who is in command of his sexuality, who is in command of his energies. So the fifth Arcanum teaches us how to become a pentagram, how to follow the law, how to be standing upright so that our spirituality is governing our desires, so that we learn how to use consciously the sex drive itself in order to harness it and control it. So we are not the upright pentagram, as I stated. We're inverted, fallen, like Sophia in the myth. So we are the fallen human being, because anyone who has lust, anger, fear, resentment, hatred, and defects is a demon. So demons are not people, I mean, the mythology shows people with horns and a red tail, and that's sort of mythology is laughed at today. Well, those are symbols of internal truths. How psychologically speaking, we have many elements which are demonic. Because anyone who is propelled by lust, by hatred and fear, who uses their emotions to harm others, is a demon. And so this teaching of the fifth arcanum is not for angels because angels already are standing upright. They know how to work with the law of karma. They're in balance. But a demon is disbalanced. They have used their impure mind to cause harm. It could be someone who intentionally means to cause harm or people like everyday individuals who don't 
really understand the causes of their own suffering and why they make others suffer. And so there's a lot of confusion in the world today. So there are people who know how to work with the inverted pentagram, obviously. We call them sorcerers. And those who learn to work with the upright pentagram are uh, positive magicians, white magicians, who follow the Christic power. So who is responsible for helping to raise the souls in Malkut to raise them up the tree of life, to teach them how to become a true human being, a spiritual human being? Because sadly, as I said, we are not human beings. We are demons. A real human being is an individual who has a solar astral body, a solar mental body, a solar causal body, who has learned to work with the alchemical science in order to create superior vehicles that can manifest the energies of divinity. So we talked about the solar bodies previously. So the astral body is a vehicle that an initiate can travel with in the higher dimensions, known as Hod, the dream state. The mental body is a superior mind that knows how to obey the will of Christ, which is created through alchemy, through a matrimony. And the solar body of will is a vehicle that knows how to obey the will of Christ, the will of divinity. So that is a true human being, someone who has those bodies and knows that they have them having worked in a matrimony for, those, for that purpose. And so that person, when they have entered into initiation, as we discussed in Arcanum 1, the magician, has raised the kundalini up the spine of the physical body, likewise the vital body, followed by the emotional body, the mental body, and then the body of will. Those are initiations. Each vehicle within those dimensions operates according to those laws. And so with Malkut, we raise the creative energies of the Kundalini through a matrimony, through a marriage. Likewise with Yasod, Hod, Netzach, Tifereth. And once one has raised that fire up those bodies, one can be said to be a human being. A human. Hum means spirit. Manas means mind. So a mind that's united with the spirit. That's someone who is a pentagram, who is upright, who is standing. Until we reach that point, we are not an upright pentagram. We are fallen. But the upright pentagram we use in our works of magic in order to command the forces of nature because it's a very divine symbol, very powerful sign. And one thing I'd like to mention about this upright pentagram is a teaching that Jesus gave in the book of John, I believe chapter 3 in which he synthesizes and explains what the pentagram means. So we explained that the pentagram represents a human being who is rising up from Malkut to Tifereth and even beyond. In past ages, when the energy of the tree of life was still manifesting, descending downward into its respective stages of materiality and, and, and manifestation, that force of involution in which spiritual forces were manifesting materially and was represented by the pentagram facing down in those ages because the spirit was descending down into Malkut. But since we've reached Malkut, which is really the, the synthesis of all the rest of the Sephiroth of the Tree of Life, that's, that pentagram now needs to go back up to return back to the source of the Absolute. 
This is the meaning of Sophia leaving the 13th aeon or the higher heavens in order to enter materiality and now has to return back. So the pentagram inverted now really represents black magic or sorcery because if you descend from Malkut down into more dense levels of matter and energy, we enter what are called the infra-dimensions, the inferior dimensions, which we can access through nightmares, states of perception which are very uh, demonic and re relate to the most uh, infernal aspects of our psyche. Very famously, Jesus said, or the intimate Christ through Jesus stated, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And, in Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, Malkut, we could say, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is, is condemned already, because he hath not believeth in the name, which we say the sacred name of God, in Hebrew represented, yod Hey vau Hey, Jehovah. Or if we add the letter Shin in, in the middle, we spell Yeshua, Savior, which is the word for Jesus, which represents a fire, an energy, which can redeem our psyche. So he, belie he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of yod He shin vau He, the upright pentagram of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light, which we say in Hebrew is aor, let there be light and there was light, yehi aor va yehi aor, in the book of Genesis. This is the law of creation, the law of three, arcanum three. So this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, that energy, that power, within the psyche. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, and that they are wrought in God. So what is this son of man? It's a symbol of, the power of Chokmah, Christ, entering to the heart, Tifereth. Because ma the man is the manas, the mind, the, the willpower, the Tifereth of the tree of life. That can learn to redeem the lower Sephiroth of the tree of life. The mind, the heart, the vitality, and our physicality. So that pentagram is the five-letter name of God, Yeshua. yod He shin vav He which is a fire, an energy, which we need to learn to work with so as to attain what is known as salvation or redemption, represented in this pentagram. We see the eyes of Jupiter represented at the top of the, uh, the main apex, the top of the head. Likewise, the eyes of Ra, symbol of Osiris Ra, the solar power of the Egyptians, manifested in Jesus, who was Oros, the son of Osiris and Isis, or Joseph and Mary. So the Egyptian myths, mysteries are synthesized within the Christian mysteries and cannot be separated. The eyes of the Father, 
represent the eternal omniscience of divinity that sees all of our actions. In relation with Arcanum 5, all of our actions are observed, our mental states, our deeds, and they are recorded by divinity. So the sign of Jupiter relates to the supreme power of Io Patar, which is uh, the power of Io, the Divine Mother, within Greek mythology, and Patar, which is the stone, the power of what we call Yasod in the Kabbalah. And you see that the eyes of Ra are always open. I remember in the astral plane, I once was going downstairs into my basement in, the, in my house, and I saw in the astral, in the astral world a, a furnace, a fireplace, better said, and two giant eyes of Ra above it. And I knew it was my divinity looking at me and showing me that I know everything you do. And above a fireplace, because the fire represents precisely this bottom of the pentagram. We have above the letter A, which is alpha, at the, and then the last letter of the Greek alphabet, omega. Above we have the brain, the first letter, alpha, of the Greek alphabet. And then we have omega, which is sex. So sex is the, po- the fire of life, has the power of creative life, spiritually and physically. That energy can create a physical child. Likewise, it can create our spiritual golden child of alchemy within us, if we know the procedures. So uh, when I was looking at that fireplace, I was seeing precisely uh, a synthesized version of the pentagram. Just the, the eyes of Ra, the eyes of divinity, and the fire of Omega, the power of the energies of God, the Holy Ghost, which we carry within our sexual glands, which is the energy of Kundalini that can rise up the spine, up the caduceus and mercury, as we see represented in this pentagram in the very center. The wings of Pleroma, the wings of our spirituality, are based in how we use that force. How do we use creative energy? Do we conserve it and transform it through practice, or do we expel it? That is the main problem of uh, alchemical science. When we conserve that power and transform it, we can raise it up the spine, up the two serpents we see represented here. And I mentioned to you that the serpent can be a positive symbol. It could also be negative. But here we have in our spine and in our body three serpents. We have what is called the Shushumna canal of the, amongst the Hindus, which is the spinal column, which is where the serpent Kundalini rises. We also have the serpent Ida, which is lunar, which channels the negative, or better said, the receptive feminine forces of the body up from sex to the brain. And then we have Pingala, which is the solar serpent, these two serpents can also be represented as Adam, Eve, male, female, sun and moon, which we also see represented in this glyph. We have the moon striding the, na- the Hebrew word pechad, which means expiation, to pay, to cleanse, to purify. We've explained in our previous lectures that the moon is a symbol of our egotism. And that we need to learn to purge ourselves of our defects so that we can learn to shine with the sun, which is represented here on the left with the word kafar. Pechad means uh, fear. Kafar means expiations. We do need to pay and expiate our deeds, our lunar psychology, because these are not separate from each other. They're integral. They relate. We learn to fear 
Pechad in relation to the moon as well. Because Pechad is how we fear and reverence God. It doesn't mean egotistical fear. It means a reverence, tremendous intention, and awareness of how one uses the energies of Yasod, the moon, which in Kabbalah relates to Yasod, the sexual force. So one needs to be, learns to be careful with that energy to know how to use it, to give it to divinity, to conserve it, and to transform it so that it can become a sun. And by transforming it into a sun in that process, we are working with kafar, expiation. We are cleansing ourselves of our defects so that we can transform the moon of our psychology into the sun. So we learn to wake, awaken that kundalini force through the fifth arcanum, learning how to use that energy in accordance with superior laws, superior teachings. When the energies rise up the spine, they form the wings of the angel, a master, an enlightened being. And we learn to awaken what are called the seven chakras of the spine, or the seven churches of the book of Revelation, which are centers of energy. Chakra literally means wheel, in which certain forces magnetize and manifest within our body and our internal vehicles too. We have the chakra muladhara at the base of the cossacks. We have the chakra svadhisthana, either in the prostate or the uterus. We have the chakra manipura, relating with the solar plexus. We have the chakra anahata, relating with the heart. We have the chakra Vishuddha relating to the throat. And then we have chakra Ajna relating to the third eye, followed by the chakra Sahasrara at the crown, which all have their respective capacities and powers. The book of Revelation refers to them as Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, respectively. The chalice in this image, as we see in the top right, over the left hand of the pentagram is a symbol of the feminine sexual organs or the mind, likewise. A spear or a staff is a symbol of the phallus or the spinal medulla, likewise. But a chalice represents the mind that receives the, the blood of Christ, the energy of the Lord. And a mind that learns to become Christified or purified is working with that power of the staff and the power of the uh, cup or the lance of Longinus and the Holy Grail represented at Christ's passion. It's a symbol of man and woman, how through a marriage they can learn to use their matrimony, the sexual act, and to use it for divinity, to transform it into a sacrament, a sacrament of Rome, amore, love. I'd like to read for you an excerpt from the Zohar which talks about the chalice specifically and how it relates to the pentagram. In the very opening of that scripture, they explain that the rose is a symbol of Israel, a symbol of the different parts of the soul, not the Middle East, but Isis, Ra, El, the power of Isis, Ra, and our Hebrew God, El, our spirit, is Israel. And the soul that manifests that is, a, is part of the assembly of Israel. They mention that uh, in the inner part of a rose, they have 13 petals, which relates to our Karnam 13, which we'll elaborate in a future lecture. The outer part of the rose has five petals relating to this, the pentagram. 
Tifereth, the heart, the human soul, is governed by the astrological sphere of Venus, but also the sun, which is very interesting because the Zahar states that the outer part of the rose has five petals and that these five are called salvation. They are five gates. Concerning this mystery, it is written from Psalms 116, verse 13, I raise the cup of salvation. This is the cup of blessing which should rest on five fingers and no more. Like the rose, sitting of five sturdy leaves, paradigm of the five fingers, or we could say the pentagram. This, is, this rose is the cup of blessing. So when one learns to work in a matrimony, they can transform their body, their mind, their heart into an upright pentagram to purify the psyche. So the cup of blessing is precisely that human being that knows how to follow the, the rites of Venus, the rose, the symbol of the blossoming of the soul, between husband and wife especially. The cup also represents the mind too, in which the energies of the, of the light, the power of the Holy Ghost, which is in our sexual glands, rises up to the brain in order to illuminate it, to create what is called the halo of the saints. The sword at the bottom is the masculine phallus. Likewise, the staff is a symbol of the spinal column. The key of Solomon on the left, the six-pointed star, is a symbol of tremendous magical potency, which we use in order to seal our home with and protect it from negative forces. The bottom triangle represents the two testicles and the vertical phallus, the upright apex. The... Triangle facing downwards represents the two ovaries and the uterus. The union of the two within holy matrimony awaken the powers of David, the powers of our spirituality. Lastly, we have the symbol of the, of the word, the name, tetragrammaton, which is Greek. Tetra means four. Gram means letter. Ton can mean, or really symbolizes esoterically force and power manifested within the true human being. We have on the hands the symbol of Mars, which to synthesize this image, we find that the hands, the symbol of our actions, how we behave in life, are governed by Mars, governed by the law, because what we do is how we will receive. How we act is, determines what will occur to us. At the feet of this uh, image, we find the symbol of Saturn, symbol of death. Because this human being who is walking on his two feet, spiritually speaking, learns how to navigate both the worlds of angels and demons and learns to die in himself, in his defects, in his impurities. The feet and Kabbalah can represent Malkut, the physical body. It also means that one is dying to all the negative uh, qualities of the psyche which exist in the infra-dimensions below the feet within the interior of the earth. So we were explaining that, that the human being must have their head in control of their sex. The brain, if we take the name Jehovah and transpose it over the human body, we find that Yod represents the mind or the head. Sex is Chava, Yod Chava, Jehovah. Chava means 
uh, literally translates as Eve. So the name of Eve in the Bible is Chava, which gives us names like Chaya, which means life. We have life based on our creative energy and how we use it determines our spiritual life. So Yod Chava is a being, is a tetragrammaton, Yod Hei Vav Hei, a sacred four-letter name of God. And the pentagram represents that human being, that man or woman, who has fully incarnated that power. So Yod is also the head, and Chava means sex. If you invert that, you spell Chava Yod, which is the name of a demon, a sorcerer of the abyss, who uh, his head is basically downward, and his sex is governing his brain. So an individual who is dominated by lust has their sexual, sexual or sexuality controlling them, not vice versa, which is why we stayed in certain prayer called the Conjuration of the Seven. In the name of Mikael, may Jehovah command me and draw thee hence Havayot. Because Jehovah, as an angel outside, is a force that can reject that demon. But symbolically speaking, anyone who is not using the creative energy for their being is a demon, is inverted. Their sex dominates their brain. So who is the one that has fallen, we can say? We've talked a lot about this, but let's talk about, in relation to the Kabbalah, who is the one that enters into temptation? We see that Tifereth is our human will, which is who we are, basically, in our depth. We are a fraction of soul from Tifereth that manifests within the Netzach, the mind, Hod, the emotions, Yesod, our vital energies, and Malkut, our physical body. That, we said, is the, the human being, we could say. Above, we have Geburah, the consciousness, or divine soul. This is, uh, we could say, Guinevere in the Arthurian legends. The spirit, said is Arthur, the king who rules the spiritual kingdom. And then Tifereth is Lancelot, the warrior that must fight for the redemption of his lady. And so uh, the upper spheres of this tree of life teach us the qualities of divinity. We have the Trinity above, which is Father, Son, Holy Ghost. That never enters into sin, we could say, impurity. But the human soul, Tifereth, can enter into the lower spheres of the tree of life. A being that is composed of Tifereth, the human soul, and those lower four, quali- uh, lower four qualities is known as what is called a Bodhisattva in Eastern mythology, Eastern teachings. A Bodhisattva is a being, a human soul, who is part of the spirit and the consciousness above. The spirit and the consciousness, or Atman Buddhi. Tifereth is known as Manas, as we explain. Atman Buddhi is the master, the being, the truth, who is never imperfect. He is perfection himself. He is the divine, represented within his spirit and the divine soul, Gebura. The Bodhisattva is merely a vehicle, a person that can manifest the will of divinity or his own personal will. And in most of us, our individual will is enmeshed with many qualities relating to the lower Sephiroth of the Tree of Life. 
different thoughts, desires, impulses, etc. And a bodhisattva is a being who has once incarnated the top trinity of the tree of life. Bodhi literally means light. And light in Hebrew relates to chokmah, which is Christ. Wisdom, truth. Bodhi also means wisdom likewise. And chokmah in the Kabbalah represents the wisdom of Christ. That primordial root energy at the root of any cosmos, which is universal. So bodhisattva is a being who once incarnated that light. But not all bodhisattvas are standing upright. Because the human soul, instead of obeying the divine will, can enter into temptation. And so even masters, angels can fall. This is the myth of the fallen angels in uh, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. There are certain masters who developed that higher aspect of the tree of life, but then entered into degeneration. So those beings fall because they didn't control the sexual energy. They let that energy tempt their mind. And so many of these angels were told, do not take a, do not take a partner. Because once you have entered the higher dimensions, the higher realms, you don't need to have that opposite polarity to work with to give you energy. Instead, you are united with God. You don't need to enter into a matrimony. But some bodhisattvas, actually many, entered into temptation. This is very common. And many people walking on the streets today, it's very easy to pass by many of them who are everyday people now, but they once were angels in the past. And so these fallen beings are represented in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? How art thou cut down from the ground to this ground? The word given here for the shining star is Lucifer. Lucifer comes from Luci Ferus. Luci means light. Ferus, carrier, someone who carries light. So this is a symbol of the energy of Christ that descends down to help the fallen souls. Lucifer is not an image of a demon, which has been popularized within our mythologies, but is a sunderable part of the intimate Christ. And so that energy has to descend down into the soul to lift it up. That Son of Man must descend from heaven and enter into temptation and face those ordeals. Lucifer is that light who is our, part of our divinity, our being, that gives us challenges and ordeals to face with in order to overcome temptation. But in us, Lucifer is blackened. He's a demon because we've used that light in the wrong way. And once a human being is fully upright once again, like this pentagram, the light of Lucifer shines and is united with Christ, is one with Christ. But in us, that light is impure. It's been abused. So how do we return back to the light? How do we transform that impure element our defects into purity. The Arcanum 5 teaches us this. So we see here an image of the temple of Anubis in which he is officiating and judging a certain soul, balancing his heart and his mind, as we've been explaining. The law of karma teaches us cause and effect, action, from the Sanskrit karman, Every effect has a cause. Every cause has an effect. And so Anubis is the one who governs this law of compensation, of balance. So we learn to overcome our errors, to learn to become upright human beings by understanding this law of compensation, this law of balance. 
as the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 states, Let no man cheat himself. Whatever a human being sows, he will reap, later reap, and his actions will follow him. Very famous saying by the Telemites, teachings of Aleister Crowley, state that do what thou wilt, that shall be the whole of the law, which is mistaken. What we do has effects, and therefore we have to answer to divinity for all of our deeds. It's not enough to do what one wills, but rather to do in accordance with the will of divinity. That is how we acquire balance, how we create harmony. So we state in this tradition, do what thou wilt, but know that you will have to answer for all of your deeds. Because precisely our deeds are judged within the books of karma. As the Quran teaches us in chapter 80, uh, Surah 83, chapter, uh, verse 7 to 12. The record of the vicious is indeed in Sayin. And what will show you what is Sayin? The word Sayin in Arabic refers to the lowest depths of hell. This, what they call the seventh level of hell, the inferno. The, or the ninth sphere of Kabbalah. We can use the, the Jewish or the Muslim traditions interchangeably. It is a written record. Woe to the deniers of that day who deny the day of retribution. And none denies it except every sinful transgressor. But also it states in this same surah, verses 18 through 23. The record of the pious is indeed an Eliun. And what will show you what is Eliun? The word in Arabic refers to a mountain, the heights, the top of the tree of life. In a surah of the Quran, it says in the opening, by the mount or by the mountain, we give this Quran, this teaching. Think of Mount Olympus. It's a symbol of the tree of life because the superior dimensions are represented by the peak, which any initiate must climb in order to reach. So, and what will show you what is Eliun, the highest heaven, the mountain, the truth? It is a written record, witnessed by those brought near to divinity. And indeed, the pious shall be amid bliss, observing as they recline on couches. There is a part of our divinity whom we carry within, amongst the many parts of divinity parts of our being that help to guide us and orient us in this spiritual work. There's one known as the Kaum, relating to the sphere of Geburah, the law. The Kaum in the internal planes, the world of dreams, are represented by police. These policemen are women, these parts, this part of our being is our divine consciousness, that conscience that tells us what is right and what is wrong. And in our dreams, we may be accosted by the police, perhaps sent to jail, or just confronted, representing that the divine law is watching us. I've personally had many experiences with my kaum in the astral plane, where I had to negotiate certain uh, problems and issues with the police, because they represent the law, not on the physical plane, but in the higher planes. And so they appear as police officers, and they're called the kaum which is a rune in the Nordic alphabet, which we'll be talking about in other lectures. But this part of our being goes to the divine hierarchies, to Anubis, and informs the divinities of our actions. If we commit something wrong, we can't run away from our action. Instead, the law will confront us. So this is the supreme mercilessness of the law. But 
we have to understand too that the law is mercy because you can negotiate. You can talk with the police and say, I'm very sorry about what I did. Here's what I'm going to do to rectify and pay for my errors from this life or from past lives. I once had a, the column came to me in the astral plane saying, this woman is very upset with you because you stole from her. And I know from this life I haven't committed that deed, but I know from past lives, obviously I did. And the officer asked me, are you going to pay part of it, some of it, right away with time? And I said, I'm going to pay all of it right away. Take everything. And he didn't say a word. He just was, he was smiling and he walked away. He was very pleased because we have to pay our debts radically and we do so by doing good deeds. So karma is negotiable. It isn't a blind law. You do something wrong, you get punished. Instead, you can communicate with divinity and ask for help and say, I want to negotiate this issue. If you're having a certain problem or situation, a certain conflict, and you want to resolve it, not with pain, or better said, without pain. Instead, you want to pay it with good deeds. Because that balance of, uh, that Anubis judges us with tends to be tipped against our favor. We tend to have a lot of bad deeds on our plate, which weighs us down. And this is something we can verify when we awaken our consciousness in the higher dimensions through dream yoga. And so you can negotiate your, de- your karma. You don't have to pay mechanically. Obviously, people who don't seek to change themselves to pay their debts or do good deeds for others, to pay what they owe, they have to suffer. And so obviously there is a law of the tally in there. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Because if we stole in this, if we stole, if we were robbed in this life, it most likely means that we stole in under lives. If we killed in past lives, we will be killed. If we committed adultery in past lives, it means in this life our partner will commit adultery against us. That's the mechanical law of retribution. But it doesn't have to be mechanical because those laws are governed by divinity. You can negotiate face-to-face with Anubis and ask for certain credit, saying, I'm sorry for what I did, but I'm not just only sorry for what I did, but I'm going to show you the actions that I'm going to do to pay my debts. And that's how you pay your, 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 your debts themselves. This memory in that state of consciousness can be retained when you wake up? Oh, perfectly lucid. You, you know, you're in that state, you know exactly what you're doing. You said, can you retain it? Some of folks would say it's, it's hard to do, or sometimes you forget what you were told, and uh, you, you have very little memory of it. But this is possible. It must be. You, you mentioned we have practices, you can, a uh, certain diet you can even engage with to help you with memory. I'll, I'll mention that to you later. Um, but these states of consciousness are very clear. Where you are face-to-face, you're practicing dream yoga, you meditate, you awaken your consciousness, and you're talking face-to-face with Anubis. I mean, I've worked with Anubis many times because I've had certain issues that I couldn't reconcile. And so I had to ask for certain credit. And you can ask for credit with the sole condition that you are going to pay what you said you're going to pay. You promise, I'm going to do this, this, and this if you help me with this. And they'll look at your case and say, and the, the lawyers, the defense lawyers will say, okay, if it sounds kosher, we'll do it. But if you don't follow your word, if you don't follow through with your actions, you will pay with pain. It's a very serious thing. Because if you say you're going to do certain deeds to help pay your debt, to pay for that credit, and if you don't pay for it, it's like the credit card company. If you don't pay your debts, they will haunt you. They will come after you. And you will, in this case, it will be more severe. Because spiritually speaking, it's much more um, effectual. Well, to remember your dreams, we have exercises like 
certain mantras such as Ra Om, Ga Om, which you can read about in the book Dream Yoga. And likewise, there's a simple diet you can exercise, you can use in the mornings, mostly consisting of citrus fruit and ground almonds with honey to help with the atoms of the memory so that you remember exactly what you're experiencing. But when I'm talking about with this case, when you're talking to Anubis or talking to any hierarch of the law, to be very uh, humble and sincere and to pr say that whatever you're going to pay, you will pay. So it's not a blind law. These are beings governed by love. These are divine beings. They're not vengeful. They don't want us to suffer, but they have to fulfill the law because the law is the law, cause and effect. You have to balance, but you can ba the process by which you can balance your debts and become an upright human being, a pentagram, is one that you can negotiate. What about for all the people out there um, that are, I mean, you know, there's a difference between ignorance and ignorance. And ignorance is you have this information and you're not using it now, but there's a lot of people out there that don't have this occult information, so they don't, they wouldn't know, you know, the same reasoning that you would say about someone living on an island that doesn't never, none of it saw the Bible. Well, in uh, ancient time, well, in past times, that was an excuse, a very valid one. But now that we have our website, which, according to the Alexa, is the top 1% of the visited websites in the world, there's no excuse anymore. People have the knowledge. But whether they follow through with it is another thing. Which is represented by the teachings of Tsongkhapa, who said in his Lamrim Chenmo, the great treatise on the stages of the path of enlightenment, the four principles of karma. This is from the first volume of his teaching. Every action produces consequences or related consequences. The consequences are greater than the actions. Now this might seem a little bit counterintuitive. How we know from Newtonian physics that every, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But actually the reality is much different. The results are greater than the action. Very evident by if we have a certain situation at work where someone gossips about another person and people believe it. It starts spreading and spreading and spreading and causing a big commotion like a stone dropping into a lake and the ripples extending all the way out to the edges of the pond and even the depth of the water. So actions produce greater, the effects are greater than the actions that cause them. It's a, always a rippling effect, a magnification. I'm sure we can think of other examples from our own experience that demonstrate this. But we have to remember that an, a negative action can cause great trauma for another person or other people. The words of one individual or politician from any time in history have been enough to destroy millions of human beings. So think about that. One person can make such a, a massive effect on a negative scale, but also on a positive scale. Simply look at the Dalai Lama. Someone asked him, um, he's a great master of Tibetan Buddhism, but also of Gnosticism. He's an upright pentagram, a real human being. He stated that if you think that you can't make a difference, simply think about a fly that's bothering you when you're trying to sleep. So no matter how small our actions may seem, the consequences are always greater. So if we do one good deed before divinity, that amplifies. And divinity rewards us in accordance with that, no matter how small the deed is. You also cannot receive the consequence without committing its corresponding action, meaning you cannot receive the karma of another person. If someone commits one action, say commits murder, you cannot, the one's wife does not go to jail for it. The husband does. So there's some confusion amongst esoteric circles that people can share karma 
or punishment from other people is uh, mistaken. But one thing is, you cannot receive the consequence without committing its corresponding action. And then once an action is performed, the, consequ- the consequence cannot be erased. So what we do is always enmeshed, is permanent. The effects of our actions cannot be taken back. This is obvious. Our thoughts are actions too. But we have to understand that in accordance with the higher laws and the higher teaching, a superior law always washes away an inferior law. So if we may have committed a wrong action in the past, if we replace it with a superior action, a real act of compassion and consciousness, we can wash away our debts. So if we said something wrong to someone and then we later apologize and really mean it, that's a, an example of a, in a small case of a superior law washing away an inferior law. But even in a, high, in a higher sense, when we uh, recognize our past actions from past lives and see the things that we did and witness them in the Akashic light, the Akashic records, we uh, can learn how to nego- really to pay our debts and by doing good deeds. We have the evidence that shows us this is what we were in the past and now we have to change. And so we learn to change and help others based on our actions and based on our qualifications, as I said. But best said, the supreme way to pay our debts is to have upright thought, upright feeling, upright action. Psychologically speaking, we need to be an upright pentagram. We have to be in control of ourselves, control of our impulses, so that we don't constantly gestate negative results, acting through ego, egotism, hate, violence, pride, etc., as the book of Matthew states, chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, Anubis, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt be by no means come out hence, until thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So we can pay with pain, or we can pay with wisdom. So there is a superior method. And so the way that we learn to pay our karma is best by learning to work on our ego, our defects, as we teach in our practices of meditation. Comprehend our faults. Pray to our Divine Mother, Kundalini, to eliminate them after we have comprehended them in depth. And in that way, the soul is liberated. Of course, we'll be giving courses and explanations, and we have many resources available to teach you how to do that, which we don't have the time and the length of this lecture. But at the end of every lecture on the Torah, we also talk about the Hebrew letters. So the fifth Hebrew letter is He. And from Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40, we find each verse starts with the letter He. The previous verses of this psalm talked about the law of, of uh, the spiritual law in depth, the Dharma, the Torah, the teaching. Some of these verses begin with Aleph, others with Bet, others with um, Gimel, Dalet. Now we're at He, the fifth letter. So some of these verses really synthesize what we're teaching here. Teach me, O Yod Chava, the path of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Meaning when we've really verified for ourselves this path and have talked with divinity and seen the crimes we committed in the past and which we seek to pay for. And therefore I will keep your statutes to the end. Bestow me your understanding, thus I will keep your law, your Torah, and observe it with my whole heart. 
Tiferet. So through the heart is how we balance the law, the scale. Cause me to walk on the path of your commands, for in it I delight. Because through this path we obtain equilibrium, harmony, peace, and real equanimity. Bow my heart to your testimonies and not to unjust gain. Turn away my eyes from seeing vanity. Give me life on your path. Substantiate your word in your servant. Woe who is devoted to you in awe. What is this word? It is the pentagram. Because the pentagram is the five-lettered word, the expression of divinity. The word made flesh as taught through the life of Jesus. So turn away my accusation which I fear, meaning the punishment I know is coming to me as a result of my, bad, my poor actions. For your judgments are righteous. We know that this law is not mechanical. It's given to us because we deserve it. And as a type of medicine for the soul. Because if we don't learn from our past actions, we won't change. Behold, I have longed for your precepts. Grant me life in your righteousness. The Hebrew letter He represents the womb, the feminine yoni. We have the sacred name yod He vau He, as we explained in previous lectures, represents Yod, the man, He, the woman, Vav, the phallus, He, the uterus. Within the sacred name of Jehovah, we find the masculine and feminine principles manifest. So the Vav is the, is the phallus, as we explained previously. The He is the womb from which our spirituality is gestated, not only materially, but spiritually speaking, within the higher dimensions. So the He is a cup of the Holy Grail, and it is through the lance of Longinus, the phallus, and the yoni, the holy grail, by which we obtain salvation. Represented in the top left image of the woman holding the holy grail in her hand, which should be silver, but silver represents the moon, the feminine forces, the divine mother. She is, uh, has a holy dove behind her, representing the Holy Spirit. The letter He, with its three lines, represents those three solar bodies I mentioned to you previously. We can say that the horizontal line is the causal body. The vertical right line is the mental body. And then the, transpo or the separated vav or transverse line represents the solar astral body. So these are solar vehicles we create through the womb of alchemy. When man and woman unite and learn to conserve that power, they can create vehicles through that energy which exists within themselves, which they can use to navigate the higher dimensions. So those are called the solar bodies. They are vehicles that can express the light of Christ, the energy of the Lord. So the letter He is the womb that receives the seed, the energy of the Divine Father, in order to create life. This is obvious. And so the letter He is taught in the Bhagavad Gita in synthesis as the womb of the Divine Mother because every initiate is born within the womb of the Divine Mother, Kundalini. And that's a symbol of how in a matrimony, yod man and woman, work with Vav and He, with spiritual purity, in order to connect and use that power to create the solar vehicles. The Bhagavad Gita states in chapter 14, verse 4, the great Prakriti is my womb, speaks Krishna, or Christ, in which I place the seed. Then so Bharata, Arjuna, my human soul, Tifereth, is the birth of all beings. 
whatever forms are produced, O Kuntreya, in any womb whatsoever, the Prakriti, the Divine Mother Kundalini, is their womb, and I am the seed-giving Father, Christ. So these lighters bear a sexual connotation associated with the myth of Abraham and the path of initiation, which I want to emphasize. So from chapter 17 of Genesis, or Bereshit, we find that Abraham, better known as Abram at that point, was 99 years old. And he confronted and went into the wilderness and met with divinity by the name of Shaddai el Chai, which translates from Hebrew, the Almighty Living God, which we emphasize in our last lectures, is the power of Yesod and Kabbalah, the creative potential. Shaddai el Chai, we emphasize in the lecture we related to Dalet, Arcanum 4, is the doorway to enter into initiation. And so Abraham was 99 years old. And if you add the numbers Kabbalistically, 9 plus 9, you, you have 18. And then add 1 plus 8 equals 9 again. 9 refers to in Kabbalah the ninth sphere of yes, the tree of life, represented by Yesod, the foundation stone. This is the cubic stone of the Masons, the foundation of our spiritual temple, how we use that power in order to become an upright pentagram. So I'd like to read for you the mysteries of the letter Hey, of initiation, of working in a marriage, in order to give birth to the soul. So Abraham was 90 years old and nine. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. Meaning the soul, or better said, Abraham represents our spirit. Chesed is Abraham, who becomes, through the knowledge of Da'at, Abraham. So we talk about initiation in depth in, a, in the past lecture on the magician. A real initiate is the being, divinity. The one who acquires powers and, and blessings and knowledge is divinity. We are instrumental in that process, but the spirit is the one who acquires development, cognizance, powers, etc. Those things belong to God. We just have to do our part. So Jehovah said, better said, Shaddai el Chai states, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. We could say, uh, not physical nations, like the many Muslims and Jews believe, but it refers to the spiritual nations the development of our soul. And this covenant we explained in our last lecture is Berit Esh. In the book of Genesis, the beginning of the, that scripture states, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created, or Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Bereshit bara Elohim at hashamayin veat haretz. Bereshit in the beginning can translate as Berit Esh. We state it means pact of fire which is the pact of a matrimony, because through the sexual act is how one awakens the fire of love. But one learns, must learn to be chaste in that sexual act, to be pure. doesn't mean to refrain from sex, but it means to be pure in that sexual act. So this is when Shaddai el Chai speaks, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. 
So you add the letter hey to Abram, you spell Abraham. So that teaches us what the letter hey signifies, the gestation, the creation of the soul within the womb of our Divine Mother. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make a nations of thee, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Meaning those upright pentagrams shall emerge from your work. Many human beings made into the image of God. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in the generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed forever. That seed is our sexual seed, which can give life physically or spiritually, depending on how we use it. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. So what are these generations? They're the tree of life. So all the figures in the Bible can be mapped on this glyph. Abraham is the spirit. Isaac, Isaac is Geburah. And Jacob is Tifereth. So there's many interesting correlations that we can interpret from this tree of life. It's not literally referring to people in the history, but something symbolic. So many kings will be born from this work of Abram, who has become Abraham, the spirit who is working within the spinal column of any initiate who is practicing sexual magic. So this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. So obviously this is something symbolic here. It's not necessarily literal. For as Paul of Tarsus states in his epistles, uh, it doesn't, the physical circumcision doesn't matter. The physical removal of the foreskin of the phallus is an aid for the male practitioners in order that they do not stimulate so much fire in the sexual act that they lose their energy. So the act of the alchemist is to learn to conserve that power, to not expel it. And so these practitioners would uh, remove the foreskin of the phallus so that they would not be overstimulated in the sexual act. It also is a symbol, more importantly, of how one removes the animality, the animal flesh, this animal psyche from that act. That's the more important spiritual circumcision that Paul of Tarsus speaks of. So, thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after in their generations. And this is how we generate, to create life. Bereshit means Genesis, generation. And all the generations of the tribes of Israel are mapped on the tree of life, respectively. Of which we'll be speaking about in other lectures. So, he that is born in thy house... And he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. Meaning, remove the animality from your psyche. Remove lust. And transform the sexual act into a sacrament of love, of purity. So my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man whose child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, meaning that soul that has not removed the impurity of the, of the psyche, that soul shall be cut off from his people meaning the people of the higher tree of life, the spiritual congregation. He hath broken my covenant, which is again, berit esh, bereshit, in the beginning or in wisdom, Elohim creates heavens and earth, which is a symbol of the, our psyche, the heavens, which are created through alchemy. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but, shall, but Sarah shall be her name. So Abram becomes Abraham through the letter He. Sarai becomes Sarah, the letter He. And of course, they're old in this time. 
and they complain to Shaddai Elkai, how can I give birth to children when I am sterile? Meaning, symbolically, how can I give birth to the soul when my mind is very weak from so much fornication, abuse of this sexual energy? How can I create something spiritually in me? But Shaddai Elkai says, if you are patient and work in this path, you will give birth to many nations, generations. And so the Bible also states that he baram, these are the genera- by these the generations of the heavens and the earth were created. And the Zohar teaches us that Behi Baram is an acrostic for by Abraham. So that spiritual force, that spirit who works within the husband and wife is what creates the soul. And so I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And then the book of Galatians states from, I believe, Paul of Tarsus, chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he said not, and to seeds, meaning of many physical people, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, which is Christ, which is the sexual creative energy. So to conclude, I'll give you some practical applications that you can use for your own work. So we talked about the upright pentagram. And if you're, interest, if you're interested in acquiring a pentagram as a necklace, a medallion, a talisman, you can get one. I know a few people who do make these, but these are medallions that have the seven metals of our solar system, which are important for charging and, and manifesting spiritual forces from above, which we learn to consecrate and bless through a certain ritual, which is explained in the book, uh, the Gnostic Bible, the Pisces Sophia Unveiled. So a pentagram can have the seven metals related to uh, Moon, Mercury, Venus, the Sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Silver, Mercury, Copper, Gold, Iron, Tin, Lead. So the metals that relate to the seven planets. You can learn to consecrate the pentagram by blessing it with the five perfumes, including sulfur, camphor, aloe, myrrh, and frankincense. Sulfur helps to remove impurities from the environment when you burn it together as a substance on a charcoal. And it's important that we learn to cleanse ourselves of any negative elements by using any type of perfume of that nature. Uh, Sulfur is a little toxic, so be careful with it. Use very little amounts. Um, You can use sage, which I have available here. You can learn to perfume your body to remove any type of negative element that may attach itself to your physical body or internal bodies. And so, sage is excellent for that. But uh, sulfur rejects tenebrous forces, and camphor attracts success. Frankincense, aloe, and myrrh, those other three perfumes, help to invoke the higher forces. And so you can bless your pentagrams. I have one available. Um, I have one myself. But you can get a, get a hold of one with the seven metals and bless it with the seven or the five perfumes, which have the seven metals, the pentagram itself. So my suggestion is that if you really wish to learn how to negotiate your karmic debts, learn to astral travel so that when you are in the internal planes, you can speak face-to-face with Anubis and negotiate any debts that you have and learn to pay them consciously. And that way, they will teach you how to be upright, how to walk right as a, a true human being, a pentagram. you have any questions? It's similar. 
everything is recorded within the Akashic records for sure. Uh, but there are books that divinity has in their temples, which they examine in order to observe the conduct of the soul. And that they show you to show you what were your good actions, what were incorrect. So divinity. Which is also universal, meaning not just this life, but previous life. Exactly. In past existences, you can look up in your records. Likewise, in the Akashic records, too. You could see visually in that astral light, that astral dimension, what you did in the past. And divinity will show you that. In Kabbalah, the best definition that I have heard is the Satan, or the demon, is a bad energy with a positive, uh, with a positive purpose. Yeah, so going back, so that loose of that energy is, uh, we need to face temptation so that we can acquire light. Uh, temptation is fire. Triumph over temptation is light, understanding, wisdom. So there's a certain necessity for that power to descend from the tree of life at the above to enter into manifestation so that that soul can gain understanding of those different levels and laws which are represented in the Arcanum 5, the law of karma. Those who uh, karma was that their karma that they didn't have it wasn't the light didn't go on in their head they didn't become aware of the necessity to do these for the spiritual world. It's also the will of the being, really. You know, the being may not be driving that person to work to want to obtain mastery, to obtain knowledge. Not all spirits want to obtain this, do this spiritual work, but in these times, this information is now very open, very accessible. So people who find the knowledge and want it will find, or people who want the knowledge will find it. So it's up to their their individual drive. Is coming with meat up through products good karma? Well, what you do with it is what counts. That's the that's the thing. Your actions determine your the result. But also, isn't it? I've I've read from Manly P. Holland that it's dangerous to start talking about the occult without really. Well, you uh, helping, so performing karma yoga is not necessarily about teaching. It doesn't have to be. But you learn to serve humanity in your way, depending on your, the, your dispensation, your qualifications. And you do what you can based on what you know and what you've verified from experience. That's how you help others. So it could be as simple as just like planting seeds with people. Exactly. So you never know when someone will change. You have no idea. We, have, we can't judge another person. Only God can do that. But you offer the help, and if they change, great. If not, it's their business. What's the best book to learn the answers? We have a book called Dream Yoga, which is a collection of chapters and explanations that Samael and Vior gave for our different writings. And, though, and these and Bihi Baram, these are the generations that are created that created the heavens and the earth. So those are the houses and mansions that yeah. the Lord inhabits. So how many of these preachers 
like surface meaning. They're like this. But what's really, which is so important behind it, you never, you never, uh, in these organized religious groups, you never hear about it. The so-called instructors explaining that, the way you're doing it here. Well, which is why I emphasize, if you really want to know these things, meditate and learn to astral travel so that when you are investigating these things, you, you, you'll know it. Well, apparently they haven't. So many of these religious leaders. Which is why Christ said, beware of false prophets because many will come in my name and will mislead many. And the Quran says there is nothing worse than an idolatrous imam. Or uh, the Zohar teaches it is one of the greatest sins to teach what you don't know. Because then you will pay. The law of karma will judge you. And they've told me, teach what you know and help. If it helps, great. Because you can't teach what you don't know. And... And don't judge because they're... Uh, they're at their level and they don't want to change, so it's their business. What can we do? As the Quran says, you are merely a prophet. And I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but I'm saying anyone who's teaching is giving the doctrine. Don't be concerned with them. You're not a watcher over them. Let them be. You give, them, give them, if they want to learn, give them what, they, what can help them. And that's how we balance our karma. We, we give accordance with our disposition, our ability, not on what we think we can do, but what we can do. Because the law judges us on the effects of our causes, our actions. So if we can't help someone in a certain way, then train in a practice, and then eventually, depending on your whatever you need to do, you can do it. And that's how you're uh, helped when you go to court and when you're presented before the law, and they have to judge you and say you need to pay for certain things. Any other questions? I do. We have many books. Uh, you can also access a lot of that material online. We have them available here too. Um, but we have many courses online with GnosticTeachings.org, as well as uh, ChicagoGnosis.org, which I can give you some, which I can give you some resources for too. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.